Hey guys, thanks for checking out our message this week. For more content like this, check out vineyardlive.us. If you are interested in getting to know more of who we are as a church, check out thevineyardchurch.us. I am the type of guy that takes words very literal. Um, I mean, words matter to me. Uh, so this gets me in trouble a lot at home, too. So my, my wife will say something like, hey, Brandon, can you make me some coffee? So I'll, I'll go ahead and I'll make the coffee in our French press or maybe in the Keurig. And um, then some time goes by, and then she says, well, what happened to my coffee? And I said, oh, I made it. I made your coffee. And she says, oh, you, you didn't bring it to me? I'm like, oh, um, you said make you some coffee. Um, like, true story. And <laughs> it gets me in trouble sometimes. And what's funny is that my daughter is actually just like me. So, so one day she is just running around. She's supposed to be taking a nap. She's coming back and forth, uh, just, just, just running and running. And, and, and I finally kind of out, out of frustration, I said, Zoe, take your tail to bed. And she looked at me, and she's like, but Poppy, I don't have a tail. Only animals have tails. I couldn't even be mad at her, everybody. I mean, I actually was pretty impressed by that, actually. I was like, that's my girl. Uh, <laughs> see, what I realize about myself is that sometimes I interpret words or situations a, a specific way because of how it benefits me. It's actually to my advantage to interpret, can you make me some coffee, as literally making the coffee and not pouring the coffee or adding milk and, and sugar to the coffee as well, right? Interpretation matters. The way that we interpret words or situations affect how we believe and how we behave. And it is interesting because in Luke 10, 25, if you want to go there with me, Jesus comes across this issue of interpretation when he's asking or, or answering a very relevant question. It's a question that is so relevant for us today. This is what verse 25 says. And behold, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, well, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength and with all of your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And I want you to turn to the person sitting next to you. I want you to write this in the chat. I want you to write the answer. Turn to the person and tell them the answer. It is the one I least expected. The one I least expected. And this is the title of our talk today. We're going to pray and we're going to unpack this. Holy Spirit, I thank you so much for your presence. Father, I thank you for uh, what your, uh, your, your presence empowers us to do. Your presence slays the giants. Your presence 
breaks the, the, the curses, it, it, it breaks the strongholds. Your presence is our source of strength and life and power. And we just welcome you to, to, to have your way today. Holy Spirit, whatever you want to do, whatever you're into, we are into it. We say come, come. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now this, this passage in Luke 10, in this passage, Jesus, he is being asked this question by this lawyer. Now this isn't uh, the type of lawyer that we think of today. Lawyers at this time, they, 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 they are the experts in the Jewish scriptures. They are the experts in the Jewish law. And this guy is seeking to, to actually catch Jesus saying something that he can twist or he can manipulate. And at the very end of their exchange, they come to the conclusion that if one is desiring to have eternal life, they have to love God with their entire being and their neighbor as themselves. But then we're told that this, this lawyer, because he's, he's, he's a clever guy, he, he, he says, okay, well, who is my neighbor? And this is a very loaded question because obviously the lawyer has his own interpretation of what the word neighbor means. Just literally off implication alone to, to ask this question, who is my neighbor, is to imply that someone is not your neighbor. So what is the lawyer asking? He is asking, well, Jesus, who do I have to love? Who do I have to love? And if we're being honest today, this is a question that we find ourselves asking. It is, it's a question to get out of the difficult work of loving difference. The, the, the question, well, who do I have to love, is an attempt to, to justify being at odds with who we perceive as or who we define as our enemy. And last week, we learned that Jesus, he, he called us to do something so radical, he called us to reckless love. And, and we learn that reckless love in this context, it, it doesn't mean careless. No, no, it, it actually means that we are utterly unconcerned uh, with the consequences of our love, meaning that, that, that we're not expecting love in return because we know that this is the, the power to change the world. And this is what Jesus modeled for us so well in his life. And he commands us to do something so reckless. Love your enemy. Or, or I want to interpret it differently for us today and say it's love the person, the one that is different than you. Love the one who, who looks different or acts different than you. Love, love the one who comes from a completely different background or environment than, uh, than you. Love the one who has completely different ethics or values than you. So do you consider the black person your neighbor? Do you consider the, 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 the white person your neighbor? Do you consider the, the Latino person your neighbor? Do you consider the Asian person your neighbor? Do you consider the Muslim person your neighbor? Do you consider the mask-wearing person your neighbor? <laughs> what about the non-mask-wearing person? Do you consider them your neighbor? What about the person that gets on your nerves every day at work? Do you consider them your neighbor? Somebody was just like, oh, not them. They said, oh, don't, no, no, Brandon, no. You, you just did it. 
See, how we interpret this word neighbor determines who we extend compassion and love to. Now, for the, for the Jewish people of Jesus' time, the, the, the label enemy or, or different, it would have been shaped partly by their cultural worldview. Now, worldview is, is just the, 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 the set of values and beliefs and cultural norms and assumptions that we have about life. Worldview is basically our, our goggles, our glasses that we see everything through. And for them, it was all about, you know, Jews and non-Jews. It was about, it was about us and then them. It, it was pure and impure. This is what it boiled down to for them. And just like the Jewish people of Jesus's day, our worldview glasses, the ones that we wear on a daily basis, determine and, and, and kind of tell us who our neighbor is and who our enemy is. So, so basically, if you look like me, if you think like me, if, if you act like me, if you come from a uh, similar place that I come from, I'm more likely to consider you safe and my neighbor. But if you don't come from where I am from, if, you're, if you don't look like me, if you don't act like me, if you don't think like me, I am less likely to consider you safe and my neighbor because you just don't fit in my worldview. Who is my neighbor? Who do I have to love? This is what Jesus, he addresses. He answers this as we read on in Luke 10. He gets to this lawyer's question in a way that the lawyer probably didn't see coming. Let's read verse 30 to see what Jesus says. Jesus is such a a boss. He's just such a master at these things. This is what he says. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho which implies that this is a Jewish man that Jesus is referring to. And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Now pause here for a moment. Jesus, he doesn't tell us why the priest or the Levite in his story did not stop. But what Jesus wants the lawyer to see and what he wants us to see today is who the priest and the Levite represent. See, see, they represent the one that you would expect to stop. The priest being the one who, who is in the presence of God every single day. He goes into the temple of God every day. He makes sacrifices every single day. And the Levite who sings worship songs and psalms to the Lord and reads scripture to the people, surely they would stop. Surely they would be the ones to stop. But what Jesus wants us to see here is that religious activity is not equivalent to neighborly activity. You can be disciplined in the spiritual disciplines, but completely overlook your neighbor. Jesus is making it a point to intentionally highlight that, that, that good religious people, they overlooked, they, they, they ignored their hurting Jewish brother on the side of the road. Surely, surely they would stop because they love God. But as we read earlier in our opening text, there is a unbreakable union between loving God and loving our neighbor. I can't have one without the other. I can't love God but ignore those that are hurting and broken around me. 
Jesus does not call us to be religious. He calls us to be neighborly. See, the priest and the Levite, they mismanaged their opportunity to demonstrate their love for God by their engagement with their neighbors. So my question to us today and for us today is, how are you managing your opportunities to demonstrate your love for God? Are, are you ignoring the pain of your neighbor because it's just too inconvenient? Are you ignoring the pain of your neighbor because you disagree with them? Has someone expected you to be a source of compassion or, or, or help, but was that expectation left unfulfilled? And listen, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to myself first. I have mismanaged opportunities to show and demonstrate my love for God. I remember a few years back, one person that I had some significant differences with went through a, 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 a pretty, pretty uh, serious medical issue. And, I, and, and as I look back in retrospect, in hindsight, I see like, oh man, I don't know if I was the neighbor I should have been. See, who, who should I have been a neighbor to but wasn't? As people who bear the name of Christ, these are the, 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 the uncomfortable questions that we have to wrestle through and wrestle with. Is it somebody that you work with? Is it someone that you engage with on social media? Is it someone in your family? Is it someone in your church family? Who, who should I have been a neighbor to? But Jesus, he goes on, goes on in this story, and he finishes this story in a way that this good Jewish lawyer would not have seen coming. He, he, he would not have liked this. This is what Jesus says in verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And, and he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he sent him, on, or he set him on his animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell amongst robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So Jesus, he tells us that a third person enters the scene, but it is a Samaritan. Now, there was a specific group of people that the Jewish people of this time did not like, that they hated, and they were called Samaritans. They did not like the Samaritans, and the Samaritans hated them too. The Jewish worldview of the time said, well, Samaritans are the worst kind of people on the earth. And Jesus says that the hero of the story, the, the, the hero is actually someone who would have never done life with this Drew, a Jewish man who was robbed and, and, and beaten. It's someone who comes from a completely different background. Jesus is saying that this is the one that you least expect. This is the one you least expect. And he's telling us that this is actually what it looks like to be a neighbor. 
See, neighbors aren't necessarily determined by location, by race, by gender, by political affiliation. I might get in trouble. By class, by likability. But I want you to catch this. Neighbors consist of anyone in need right in front of you made in the image of God. The bottom line is that reckless love engages, not ignores. I want you to write that in the chat right now. Reckless love engages, not ignores. So what does it look like for reckless love to engage? What does it look like for this love to be in action? I believe that Jesus gives us some very clear um, action and, and he teaches us what this looks like. The first way that reckless love engages in this story is through seeing and not cynicism. Now, when it comes to our, our, our enemies, whether they're you know, perceived or, or, or actual enemies, we like to think of them in as little depth and nuance as possible. Like th- this just makes it easier for us to dismiss what we see, to, to, to ignore things, right? When, when I'm not close to a situation or to a person, it's easier to judge it. It's easy to ignore from a distance. And this is the picture that Jesus paints in verse 33 when he says that the religious people, they, 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 they walked across the, to, to the other side of the street. But the Samaritan, it says that he came close and when he saw him. So the first thing that the Samaritan did was he came close and he saw. This is what Jesus is saying engaging looks like first. Now, just to get uh, a little culturally vulnerable here for a moment, I think I'm, I'm amongst family. You know, in a, in a season, in a season where, where, where racism and injustice has had an international spotlight because of tragedies like George Floyd or uh, Breonna Taylor or Jacob Blake and many others, one of the things that I have found to be a little painful is when I see my white and non-black brothers and sisters in Christ seemingly uh, uh, paint or assume that the pain of the black community is not real or is unjustifiable. And, and it, it feels like a, a denial and, and, a, and a, uh, not, 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 a, not wanting to see. And it kind of comes out through things like, well, he was a criminal. He was a criminal anyway. Or well, he, he should have listened. should have just listened. Or are we really still talking about this right now? And I can't bring this up without this also being an indictment against me. I can't bring up this idea of cynicism without it being an indictment against myself as well because I have to fight and, and surrender the temptation to be cynical. I have to resist the temptation to assume that I know how every white or non-black uh, person thinks about these issues. What I am saying is, is that we all have to wrestle through this issue in this area of seeing. We all have to wrestle through it. See, reckless love, the love that Jesus teaches us, 
and Jesus displays. It first engages through seeing and not cynicism. Reckless love says, even though you and I are not the same, even though me and you do not agree, I am still here. I see you and I am here to engage. And rather than assuming that I know it all, rather than assuming that I see it all, I am going to assume that there are more complexities that exist. This is what the Samaritan did. So think about that person on your job. Think about the person in your family, maybe in your classroom. Maybe, yeah, maybe they make your life harder, but what if you chose to see that maybe there is something else going on under the surface? What if you chose to assume that there are some things that you don't see? This is how we engage and not ignore. Now, I want to be very clear because this feels a bit heavy. What, what, what I want to be clear on and what I want to remind us of is that it is the Holy Spirit's job to open our eyes and to show us what we cannot see. This is not something that will happen out of self-effort. But this will only happen, this will only be possible as we embrace our connection and we nurture our connection with the Holy Spirit. As we invite him into this process and into this desire that we have. I love how our executive pastor here, Leah Winger, I love how she says this. And this is a prayer to adopt here. Holy Spirit, show me what I don't see. In this specific situation, show me what I don't see. This is what he's inviting us into. The second way that this passage teaches us that reckless love engages is through compassion, not contempt. I want you to write that in the chat. Compassion, not contempt. In verse 33 and 34, Jesus, he says that the Samaritan, he sees the Jewish guy, he, he's beaten, he's on the side of the road, and he has compassion on him. And when he has compassion, it then, it then says that he, 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 he binds up his wounds, he pours oil and wine on his wounds, which represent action, because compassion always leads us to action. And the picture that Jesus is painting here is not a picture of worldly compassion. It's easy for us to have compassion on people we like. <laughs> It's easy for me to have compassion on my three-year-old daughter when she falls and scrapes her knee. Oh, you're so cute. I'm sorry. You know, that's, the, that's easy. What, what Jesus is painting here, the picture that Jesus is painting here is of kingdom compassion. Kingdom compassion. Remember, culturally and religiously, this Samaritan guy had every reason to have contempt for this Jewish man that he saw on the side of the road. He had every reason to ignore him, but the Samaritan rejected his culture's definition of who his enemy should be. Church, it is time for us to reject our culture's definition of who our enemy should be. It's time for us to reject our culture's definition of who our enemy should be. Reject media's definition of who our enemy should be and to begin to see people the way that Jesus sees it. The Samaritan, he would have grown up hearing things like, yeah, don't trust those Jewish folks. You know, they're all the same. Leave them alone. Like, we don't agree with them. They, 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 they're the worst. They think they're better than us. And what Jesus is saying is that with all of that context, the Samaritan still chooses to engage with the one in front of him. 
See, kingdom compassion transcends agreement. Kingdom compassion transcends agreement because kingdom compassion is not agreement. My compassion does not flow from my agreement. My compassion flows from my connection. If I am connected to the right source, I will be able to release kingdom compassion. See, compassion is something that is out of, is found in the nature of Christ. And if I am connected to him, if I'm united with him because of my faith in him, I have access, I have the ability to put on his compassion. And when I do, I display, I demonstrate that I know Jesus. This is why Colossians 3.12 says this. It says it this way. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. So because of who you are, you can put on his compassion. Because of your connection, you can put on compassion, right? Compassion in hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. So reckless love, it engages, not ignores, through seeing and not cynicism, compassion and not contempt. And the last way that we see Jesus tells us that uh, reckless love engages in this text is through advocacy and not Attacking. You can write that in the chat as well. See, my definition, not the definition of advocacy, is just using one's voice, time, and resources on behalf of someone else. In verse 35, this is what Jesus says. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave, it, and gave them to the innkeeper. So he uses resources, right? Then he's uh, then saying, take care of him. So he uses his voice next, and whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. So he uses his time. What is Jesus saying to us? He's saying that reckless love engages not only uh, in the heart, it's not, it's, not, it's not just a heart thing, but also through our time, our voice, and our resources. This is what it looks like to advocate. Jesus is saying that this kind of love this kind of love that I am, I, I am saying you have access to will cost you something. But when we're willing to pay the price, we get to participate in God's restorative, his redemptive work in somebody else's life. So the question is, are we willing to pay the price? Are we willing to pay the price? Truly loving those that are different than you may cost you. It may cost you popularity. It may cost you friends. It may cost you Instagram followers. It will cost you time. It will cost you resources. Engaging looks like advocacy. So the lawyer, he learned a very valuable lesson. He learned that your enemy is also your neighbor. In the kingdom, we are called to love the one that we least expect. Reckless love engages and not ignores through seeing and not cynicism, compassion and not contempt, and through advocacy and not attacking. Isn't this what Jesus did, church? Isn't this what he did for us? Aren't you so thankful that when you were broken, when you were left on the side, when you were robbed of your identity, Jesus did not pass you by, but he stopped. He had compassion on you. When there was brokenness, when there was wounds, he actually bound you up. When you were still a sinner, 
He, he died for you and united you back to the Father. Isn't this what Jesus did? And now Jesus says to us today, he says the same thing that he said to the lawyer. He says, now you go. This is what the good Samaritan says to us. Now you go and you do likewise. But here's something that we have to remember. Jesus never sends anyone that he also doesn't empower. I don't know if you caught what I said. That's a, that's a sermon in and of itself. Jesus never sends anyone that he also didn't empower. What that means is, is that there is, there, there is the ability in the command to live out the command. What that means is, is that his, his presence, his power doesn't leave you by yourself, but it empowers you to do what you cannot do on your own. When he sent out the 12, he, he said, hey, go preach the gospel, go cast out devils, go, go uh, cleanse the sick or, or heal the sick. He sent them in his power. So that means that he's saying, hey, you go do the same, but I am empowering you to do the same. This is what it means. And this is a radical picture of love. This is a, a difficult picture of love, and this is, this is hard. And if we could have done this by ourselves, we would have. <laughs> right? We, we would have done this by now. We need the Spirit. This will happen as we continue to nurture our relationship and our connection with Him. But we can do it. He has given us the grace to engage and not ignore. Now, I want you to take a quick moment, and I want you to take a minute, and I want you to ask Jesus this question. Jesus, how are you asking me to engage and not ignore this week in response to the Good Samaritan story? I want you to take a, take a minute, think about that, ask him. So we're going to pause. Okay, now as we transition into a time of worship, before we do that, I want you to find someone, if you're in the room, and I want you to share what Jesus told you. I want you to share what he asked you to do so you can get up and find somebody, find some, maybe somebody sitting next to you, someone that you came with. And if you are, are with us online, I want you to just write in the chat what you felt like the Lord was inviting you to do. And maybe he's going to continue to speak to you about that during worship. Feel free to drop it in the chat. But I believe that Jesus is inviting us to, he's inviting us into something reckless and radical. 
Well, that's what I signed up for. I think that's what you signed up for too. So let's uh, transition now to a time of worship. You, you, you can stand, um, you can uh, stay seated, but I'm gonna pray for us as we move into worship. Jesus, I thank you so much for um, just this, this opportunity that you have given us to be known by our love, to be known by uh, the, the markers of your presence and your power. Father, and I pray that this word, I pray that it would um, not just be a word, but I pray that it would, it would come with the power to live it out. I thank you for every person here, and I pray that as we worship you, Jesus, I pray that we are reminded that you were actually the good Samaritan, that this is what you did in our lives. When we were at our worst, when we were the most broken, you stopped and you took care of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for checking out this message. We also have many messages available on vineyardlive.us. Get access to exclusive content when you sign up for the Vineyard Live Plus community. This allows you to watch our past conferences, trainings, and special teachings.